Alright, so welcome back everyone to the Team Up show uh, for about episode number five, I believe. So we're well and truly underway on our podcasting journey and it gives me great pleasure to welcome our very special guest. Would you please join me in welcoming with a drum roll please, <laughs> Kathy Reid, how are you? I'm doing very well, Brandon, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm fantastic and I'm glad we've actually finally found the time to get around to this because <laughs> it feels like um, we've probably been crossing paths in similar environments for probably 12 months. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I mean, Geelong's probably to blame for that. Mm-hmm. For those of you listening and watching, um, both of our businesses or us as individuals are based in Geelong, which is an amazing regional city mm-hmm. for startups and tech in particular. Mm-hmm. So much so that Kathy's going to tell you all about what she does and some work she also does abroad, which is uh, exciting. And also talk about her role with Mycroft and also I thought today we'd delve into uh, voice technology because that seems like a real buzzword at the moment in an area that's growing, changing. Absolutely. So you're probably you're probably getting annoyed about the fact that I've done a really long intro, but it's only because once Kathy starts, I'm gonna struggle to stop her, which isn't a bad thing. So <laughs> you're not gonna get a word in Brent. So before we jump into voice, which is is um, I'm so excited to talk more and share with our audience more about um, I want you to tell me, if you can, and our audience, a little bit about you, your journey, sure. and what's brought you to today, you know, where, you, where you're at today. Oh, great question. Um, so as you, as you might be able to tell, I'm a giant geek, both figuratively and, and literally. Um, <laughs> so I'm a senior technologist. I, I've had a 20-year technical career in a, in a range of different technologies. I've worked in web development, video conferencing, digital signage, uh, and now I'm working in voice tech. Um, I, I wear a number of hats. I'm the president of an organisation called Linux Australia, which yes. advocates and promotes for open source within Australia. So if you've ever been to WordCamp or Drupal South or LinuxConf or PyConAU in, in Australia, you've actually been to a Linux Australia event. Uh, and I'm also the director of developer relations at Mycroft AI, which is a uh, Kansas City-based uh, voice startup. Um, and one of the key reasons that I, I chose to take uh, the, the job with Mycroft uh, was that they're open source, so they work in open source voice yes. tech. So yeah, really a really good overlap of skills and passions. Yep, excellent. All right, so most recently, Kathy and I um, had the pleasure of uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing Kathy at Technology Geelong's Tech Leaning event, where you were a guest speaker. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the takeouts for me from that event was just being able to witness the type of people that were in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, we had obviously small businesses and. Um, enterprise businesses and we had people who were at different stages of their technological um, journey yeah journey yeah Mm -hmm. we wouldn't call it an always earlier it's a journey and um, I really appreciated from that event in particular the ability to be able to ask any question and feel (laughs) comfortable that with technology in particular because it's changing so much that um, there was so many things I had in common with other people and things I needed to learn Mm. I think you spoke on Internet of Things, big data, mm-hmm. things along those lines. Did you get a chance to talk about voice? No, not at not at that event. Um, obviously, you know you can only fit so much into a single day, yep. um, and I, I don't think Stephanie would have been able to get me off the stage if uh, <laughs> if she'd let me have a go at voice as well. But uh, I'm sure at some stage in the future we'll be able to come back around and, and cover voice as well. Yep. All right. Well, so today we're going to talk to Kathy. We've just got an insight into her journey and what she does day to day. We're going to talk to her about her predictions for the future. We're going to ask her a bit later on about who she's following online and what she's reading. Mm-hmm. 
But for now, what I thought we'd do is really delve deep into this space of voice, voice technology. Um, obviously, we've seen and heard a lot uh, recently around its developments and how it's it's advancing technology incredibly and it's creeping into our homes, literally, <laughs> now. And so I thought maybe you could give an insight for people who really are pretty green when it comes to voice technology. Sure. And why you think it's becoming such a dominant <laughs> space all of a sudden. I mean, we're obviously sure. broadcasting um, on a podcast, mm-hmm. which is which has really come into vogue, even though we were discussing off air that it's been around for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, video here, but also the mediums at which you can use voice are becoming a lot more frequently used. So, <laughs> look, that's enough from me. You're the expert. <laughs> Just, yeah, let's, let's delve into it. You tell me, um, yeah... The impression of how it's going and sure yeah so what we're going to do here i'm actually going to take you back 20 years yeah um, uh, i'm i'm a bit of an older techie um i'm not going to tell you how old i am because <laughs> um, because i don't want to have to lie to you um but when i was starting out my technical career computers didn't necessarily have mice we used something called mm-hmm. a command line interface we, we typed into the computer the computer gave us back a response to the screen then mice came along and you know we we had different types of keyboards and then graphical tablets came along um and you know if you're a gamer at all or if you've ever used an atari or a playstation you'll be using user interfaces like you know the wii controllers Mm -hmm. so they're all different types of user interfaces and they've they've formed an uh like an evolutionary timeline Voice is just another user interface. Mm-hmm. So voice is a, a way to control devices or technologies mm-hmm. instead of using a touch screen or a tap or yes. or typing or clicking on a mouse. So it's just really another user interface. Mm-hmm. So that's where it sits in terms of an evolutionary timeline. There's a couple of reasons why voice is starting to take off now as a user interface. I think one of them is driven by humans and our behavior. Yes. So there's a lot of literature coming out at the moment about distraction and mm-hmm. how distracted we all are. Yes. So for instance, you don't want to be on your phone while you're driving. Um, you know, you, you don't want to kill someone because you got a text and you had to read it. So we're getting distracted by our technology and we need to find ways to design user interfaces that provide a more seamless, less distracting experience. And mm-hmm. I think voice is a very natural user experience. Yes. Um, you know, how many of you have dinner and cook dinner while you're still talking to the family about their day it's not a distracting user interface Um, so I think that's one we're we're getting distracted the second reason I think voice is starting to take off is about the advances in technology we've Mm -hmm. seen over the last couple of years and I won't get too techie it's okay (laughs) you you don't need to hit a command line just yet Um, (laughs) but the there's a couple of major advances that we've seen one is that we've seen advances in machine learning mm-hmm. and something called neural networks. Okay. So in voice technology, neural networks are very important because the systems need to figure out uh, what you said. Yeah. So Brandon speaks differently to the way that Kathy speaks and John speaks differently to the way yeah. that we both speak. And so the neural network needs to figure out what we said mm-hmm. and keep in mind that there's 7 billion people on the planet. Mm-hmm. There are thousands of languages, you know, not everybody speaks with a Midwestern, you know, American accent, Mm -hmm. y'all. Hi guys in KC. Um, So we need to have some processing power that is able to do what we call speech to text recognition. So looking at speech 
and extracting from that speech what people said with a reasonable level of confidence. Mm -hmm. And the technologies that do that over the last couple of years have become much more advanced. So neural networks have become much more advanced. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, TensorFlow from Google, uh, which is a a machine learning and neural network platform, has become much more advanced as well. Mm -hmm. So I think they're the two two drivers that we're seeing in voice. We've got the distraction driver. We want natural user interfaces. And we also have the technical advances that make uh, voice interfaces possible. Uh, So I'm a a big Star Trek nerd. Yeah. (laughs) I, I love my science fiction. Uh, and, you know, the, the original series in the 1960s and, you know, the, the second series in uh, the 1990s, they all had user interfaces, you know, yeah. computer, do this for me. Yes. Um, and we're now taking that from science fiction into science fact and yeah. I just find oh, that yeah. incredibly exciting. <laughs> well, I mean, I've noticed from a general perspective that um, I see more people using their voice um, commands on their phone. So uh, Siri mm-hmm. and and like with, with Android and... But also, um, more and more people now are obviously venturing into the home with their, their Google Home or their Alexa. Mm-hmm. And um, look, I've used one personally myself. I would say that still at times it can be quite um, challenging with my requests coming through. Mm-hmm. But is that just a teething problem that you think will be superseded and become better and better very quickly? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. So is it learning from us? Absolutely. So basically, with a machine, uh, with machine learning and with a neural network, the neural network is trained on a set of data. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I'll go back to the point that I made before about you have to have lots of different samples and you have to have lots of different data because a machine learning network, a machine learning neural network that is trained on, say, a data set of uh, uh, Midwestern American male will be yep. very good at recognising what a Midwestern American male is saying. Yes. Yep. But when Siri first came out, it couldn't understand the Australian accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah little, little I now, you know, lang- language idiosyncrasies. You know, there's been a, you know, there's a bingle up in Broadie and, you know, I need to get to the servo. You know, Siri's going <laughs> to trip this up on that. Totally, for anyone listening overseas, this is just, they can't understand the word, can they? <laughs> <laughs> we'll teach you, it's okay. Tell, tell, me, tell me, I'll pause on that one because I want you to come back to it, but just what's coming <laughs> to my mind is, I've noticed, and this is relevant in particular with our podcast and our YouTube TV channel here, which everyone will be seeing today, we've explored the use of the transcription service because mm-hmm. obviously we've noticed a lot of people are now uh, watching video without sound. I think you mentioned that to me. But um, the transcription service hasn't been great. And I'm wondering, is that just because the tool within the platform of YouTube, for example, hasn't caught up? Or are there third-party softwares out that are more advanced? Or is it an overall thing? Okay. So there's a couple of reasons why transcription um, isn't quite there yet. And um, what we're talking about really is about accuracy and precision. So when we're transcribing things, we want to be absolutely certain about what the person said. Mm -hmm. At the moment, because we haven't trained the neural networks on nearly enough data, Mm -hmm. it takes a best guess at the transcription 
but even a transcription accuracy rate of about 90 to 95 percent means that you're still going to get about one in 10 to one in 20 words wrong and it can alter the meaning of a transcription yeah so over time the accuracy of those transcriptions is going to get much much higher yes. as they're tra- as they're trained on a much more diverse data set okay um there's a an incredible program of work that's going on at the moment by a company called mozilla so if anybody uses the firefox browser mozilla oh, they're still getting around are they mozilla. oh they're going from strength to strength really? <laughs> um you should see what they're doing in the iot space but that's that's for another yeah. podcast yeah so mozilla is working on something called deep speech and what they want to do um, part of the problem we have with transcriptions is that a lot of these training data sets are proprietary they're not shared between companies mm-hmm. so google has a set and um, you know which they use for youtube and which they use for their speech to text software and other transcription companies have their own data set mm-hmm. mozilla wants to make an open data set that can be used for research and for technology across the world and um, they've released that as uh, an open data set called deep speech yeah deep speech is available only in english at the moment and mm-hmm. so they then want to go on and do other languages as well because mm-hmm. we're finding a really uh a, a really problematic issue within voice technology at the moment is that most of the voice technologies only support English or French or Spanish or major languages so a lot of our um, a lot of our smaller language populations so for instance Australian Aboriginal languages Mm -hmm. or some of the languages uh, in uh, the various regions in India or some of our Polynesian languages there's there's no way that a commercial product is going to support some of those niche languages Mm -hmm. but by having an open source platform it it makes it much more available to be um to be trained Mm -hmm. on some of those niche languages yeah wow okay Mm -hmm. so there's major inroads this could make for um education accessibility to all absolutely yeah i mean i think you mentioned off air i hope you don't mind sharing but you mentioned that um, as a learner, do you find that you're more of a visual? Yeah. Yeah. So how does how does these advancements in the audio space um, impact someone like you? Mm-hmm. And there's plenty out there that are much more of a visual learner. Mm-hmm. Great question. You know, so what's a lady who prefers you know visual learning and and reading doing in a voice technology area? So I think that the key benefit that it provides is transcription. So, for instance, if there's a long podcast Mm -hmm. and I can get a transcription of that low cost, very easily automated so that, you know, there's no burden to the podcaster, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you already do a huge amount of work in putting together the content for a podcast, you know, doing the transcriptions, another layer of that. Uh, I think that having the transcription allows that content to be surfaced in another way and consumed by people who prefer that content in a different way. Yeah. So yeah. I see transcription is one area of that. Yeah. Uh, but I also see the voice data as another. So creating these data sets that can then be used for research or that can then be used for um, you know, other technical advancements. Mm-hmm. So imagine um, you know, we're living longer mm-hmm. uh, as a population. But that also means that we have a number of degenerative conditions as we age. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, multiple sclerosis, um, some of the other degenerative conditions more prevalent um, in older populations. Imagine being able to record your voice before you lose your voice Mm -hmm. and being able to use that as a communication tool with your family and friends once you physically can't use your voice anymore. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So, So Stephen Hawking's had... What was, the, what was the tool he used to be able to speak? 
Mm. Was that a computer system that was um, connected to his brain somehow? Or I'm, I'm not sure. I just, I, no, just, I just recall that um, obviously the difference there is the voice that was being used as his whilst he couldn't speak was just a robotic sounding mm-hmm. machine type voice. Mm-hmm. But what you described there, oh my God, that would be an amazing um, product so to think that you could have your personality and your voice stored mm-hmm. and then draw upon it to communicate once you've lost the ability to. Sure. Is great, yeah. And this, again, this has been driven by some technical advancements. So there's a, um, it's not so much a technology, but a uh, an approach called Tachytron that's been released by Google. And it's about how they use machine learning technologies to train a voice model on a particular person's voice. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, um, you know, in mobile technology, Siri has a an Australian female voice, yes. uh, and I use um, you know um, Google's voice assistant, and I've set that to an Australian voice as well. In the text-to-speech area, which is another part of the voice stack, one of the problems is that there aren't that many voices and it's very expensive and very difficult to train a new voice. Mm -hmm. So what we want to get to the stage of is being able to train a voice very readily, but it does take, uh, it can take upwards of 40 to 100 hours Mm -hmm. of training a machine learning model on a voice for it to have a realistic voice, Mm -hmm. which is part of the problem why we still have the robotic voices in in this space. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. So I'm, I'm really a computer. I just haven't told. Yeah, that's right. Your battery's running out. Better plug in every time. Exactly. Um, so, okay. Well, I think I think we've covered the the audio part to a degree. We could talk forever on that, but I think we've covered the advancements and how relevant it is and how important it is to um, to, to find out more about. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a big startup audience, given that obviously we're based out of a, a startup incubator here. And um, I think probably what's left to ask you is, I'll leave the startup advice for last, because I reckon <laughs> people would probably like to know from you, what are you currently reading? Yeah. Oh. Or is it reading or what, you know? Oh, avid, avid reader, avid yeah. reader, Brandon. Um, so I have about six or seven books on the go at wow. once. Yeah, I, I get bored and skip and come back yeah um so i'm reading quite a few things at the moment i'm reading clay shirky's book on cognitive surplus okay so calatio uh, no, how do you spell that? Sorry, Clay Shirky. Oh, Clay Shirky, sorry. He, he's got a book on cognitive surplus. Yes. Um, and it's about how we can use some of the spare brain cycles we have for collective good. Uh, so a lot of that book covers the open source movement, but it also covers things like online communities and yes. how we can build collective good with very minimal effort. Uh, and it, it talks very much about as we have automation and technologies that help us. Yes. We still want to realise our you know, intellectual potential mm-hmm. and uh, talks a little bit about that. So I find that incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another book that I've read recently. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I, I should have researched this before I came onto the show. Reader? Do you get through them quick? I, I do. Wow. Once, once I get hooked, I can't stop. Um, and it's, it's a book by Sarah. I'm going to get her surname wrong. I'm sorry, Sarah. Sarah Wachtabuk. <laughs> but it's it's um we'll it. <laughs> thank you it's all about how technology is inherently sexist yep. and how 
because technology hasn't been designed with a diverse design team, some of the defaults and some of the things that technology do are incredibly sexist, racist and mm-hmm. you know, homophobic and transphobic. Uh, and the key learning that I got out of that book was really about the rigorous thinking we need to do with the defaults that we set as technologists and the huge ethical um, consideration that we have to give to technical projects to make sure that we're not only delivering things that are technically correct but that are ethically and morally correct as well. Yes, I was trying to bring up, I think I had the wrong Sarah Oof and she solo navigated around the world on a boat, maybe that's the other one. Wrong, wrong Sarah. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's called Technically, Technically Wrong or something like that. Um, but it's probably the best book that I've read in the last couple of years. Oh, here um, we go. Yep. Yeah. It's Sarah, what's your what's your vulture? What a name. Yep. Yeah. I, I knew I wasn't going to get that correct. I'm sorry, Sarah. No, no, the I, book, I, so it's technically wrong, <laughs> and it's sexist apps, biased algorithms, and other threats of toxic tech. Mm-hmm. So that's a great read, yeah? Oh, it's awesome. What else? One more one. Yeah. Oh. So I, I have to confess something to you, yeah. Brandon. Uh, I'm a huge fan girl of an author called William Gibson. Okay. Um, William Gibson is the reason that I got into technology and, and started a technology career. Yes. I'm reading a book of his called The Peripheral at the moment. I've just yes. started it and, and I'm hooked. But the thing that I love about Gibson's novels is that when I read the novel, I know that in five years' time it's going to be science fact, not science fiction. So he coined the term information superhighway and did a lot of the early science fiction work on artificial intelligences. Yes. And there's a particular novel of his that rings true with me at the moment called Adoru, where an artificial intelligence is actually a superstar. Yep. So this artificial intelligence construct uh, is this massive superstar. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking about the way that we manufacture celebrities and pop stars. Yep. And I just wonder how long it is before we have an artificial intelligence that's as big as Britney Spears or Justin Bieber. Or well, it sounds like... Have you watched Black Mirror? Oh, Netflix? yes. It almost sounds remotely close to that episode about the, the like the Australian, American Idol show. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to a degree, but I agree. How long until we have a manufactured celebrities? Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, and and then you've got to take that a step further. And uh, there's a fantastic book by an author called Neil Stevenson uh, called Interface. Yes, and I swear this is fiction, but it's where the American president has a stroke (laughs) and they connect into a bunch of electrodes, and then he does policy development based on media polls. It's fiction, wow. Um, And I just wonder. How long before that actually becomes reality? So, yeah, yeah. already. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I, I love reading science fiction because I I know that before long it's going to be science fact. Yep. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. So as I mentioned, we've got a big startup audience and, and um, also established businesses and people who are looking to embark upon a startup. Mm-hmm. So they, they're coming at it from two angles. There's people who are really fresh and green, and mm-hmm. there's others who are established businesses looking to apply their craft but in the startup environment. Yeah. Now obviously you've got enormous experience with tech but from that I'm sure you would have been exposed to so many startups mm-hmm. to the point where you've probably seen many come and go. Yeah. And I'm not sure if in your opinion quite often the ones that have been successful have necessarily been the ones you predicted to be from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I'm interested to know if there is an element of predictability that you've 
started to uncover a little bit with your exposure to startups sure. um, that you could share with their audience so they can know some key things to focus on as a priority to ensure that? Yep. Uh, really great question. And I think what you're asking is what's the universal recipe for success for startups? Yes, and yes please. I, I would have to say that I don't think there is a universal recipe. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll pack up my bags and leave right now. Um, but the, I think the successful startups have some really good secret ingredients. Mm-hmm. They have a great culture. Yes. You know, they obviously have a very great team with a very diverse range of skills, experience, and also viewpoints and mindsets. So startups really are all about solving a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when, when you do things like product market fit or when you're looking at your value proposition, a startup is there because it solves a problem. Mm-hmm. And we all know that there's multiple ways to solve a problem. So mm-hmm. on a startup team, you need people who can tackle problems from various different angles. Mm-hmm. And as a technologist, I absolutely value and respect uh, people who bring to the party a humanities background. And what we're seeing at the moment is that humanities specialists, so people who do a you know a liberal arts degree or people who do a you know a classical education, often have huge amounts to bring to technical startups as well, mm-hmm. because they're very very good at understanding you know how people are going to react or what the bigger picture is behind a technical product. Mm-hmm. So I think diversity in startups is an absolute must. Yeah. And we're starting to see some empirical evidence um, come out now that shows that companies who have very diverse teams uh, have a very strong, uh, very much stronger bottom line. So yeah. diversity is a recipe for success. Unreal. All right. Well, I feel like we could talk forever, and mm-hmm. that leads me to the next question, which is: um, I'm already anticipating we'll get an overwhelming response to this particular podcast episode. So. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to hear and see more of Kathy, obviously we're going to share her uh, details. We can get in touch with her online and find out more, but I will do my best. Um, her time for me to try and get her back on the podcast as, as regularly as possible, um, just because of the sheer knowledge and, and the fact that we've learned so much in a short period and got a real um, a good update of what's happening in the tech space. Um, I think that's incredibly relevant for our audience. And, I'm learning, so selfishly, I'd love to have you on more if possible. So um, we'll work towards making that happen. But for now, um, Kathy, thanks so much for your time. Absolute pleasure, Brendan. Yeah? Thank you for the Thank opportunity. You. Oh, pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. We'll share it with you soon, guys. You'll find us on YouTube, um, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and across social media. So thanks again, and see you all. Another amazing episode here on the Team Up Show. Thanks so much to our wonderful guests. That's it for now, guys, but don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes Store, on Stitcher and Spotify. And to get in touch with us, maybe you want to be one of our next guests, or maybe you've got some suggestions for our content, we're more than happy to hear from you. You can email through at info at teamupdigital.com.au and find us across social media on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. For now, thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you on the next episode.